Come to our second scripture reading, which is our sermon text for this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And that is on page 909 of your pew Bibles. So turn there as as you're able and willing. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. What does this mean? What a good question uh, that that comes to us there in verse, um, verse 13 of our text. What does this mean? What, you know, isn't that our, natu- our natural response when we ourselves hear of what happened on the day of Pentecost? What does it mean that wind, the sound of wind started rushing around the room where uh, Christ's disciples were seated? What does it mean that tongues of fire started uh, to, to descend upon them? What does it mean that people started speaking in other languages and, and they were given this gift of tongues, as it were? These are confusing things. These are things that happen that make us ask the question, what does this mean? Help me to understand Pentecost. You know, I grew up in a church that um, that had a very specific kind of celebration for Pentecost. And I remember uh, that it was probably one of the great historical acts of God that I knew the least about. In fact, even to this day, Pentecost is something that I have to remind myself about and, 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 and trace through the scriptures what it means. Because we know what Christ's incarnation was about, him, him coming and, um, as, as God taking on flesh. We know what his death and resurrection were about, his atonement for sin, his victory over sin and death. We know what his ascension is about, because at his ascension, Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father. But Pentecost can be a little bit confusing. I think it's because of what's going on here. And I think it's because we need to spend a bit more time going to our Old Testament, 
understanding what the New Testament is teaching us. So let's do that now. I want us to see this week three phenomena that happen, three things uh, uh, that, are, that are going on on the day of Pentecost that help us to answer that question. What does this mean? And next week, Peter's sermon is going to unpack this further. Peter is just going to start speaking and show us that there are things about Pentecost that we never even imagined. Um, Peter's going to do that next week. But this week, we're going to look, we're going to slow down and look at at the three um, things that are happening. Something that is heard, something that is seen, and something that is spoken. Keep your Bible handy because we're going to turn to the Old Testament quite a bit as we do so. My hope, my prayer is that by the end of this sermon, you'll know what Pentecost meant. You'll be excited to learn even more next week about what Pentecost means. And you'll see that it actually touches your life very much right here and now. That Pentecost has everything to do with your joy and contentment and confidence in Christ and living out his will today. So what does Pentecost mean? Well, first of all, we we see that the disciples are gathered and they're gathered in this upper room, but all around them and all throughout Jerusalem is this feast, um, festal gathering for the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost means 50 in Greek. And what they mean is 50 days after Passover, there's another feast that falls. Um, It's often called the Feast of Weeks. Why? Because 50 uh, 50 days is seven, about seven weeks. And so seven weeks, 50 days after Passover, there was another feast to celebrate the great harvest of God, the first fruits of his harvest um, in, the, in the field and in his giving to his people. And so you have all of Jerusalem um, that was required. Every man was required each year to go up to celebrate this feast. That's why uh, Jerusalem is just packed with people, packed with, with Jews, that are, were scattered throughout the ancient world. And here they are. And in the midst of that great gathering is an upper room. And in that upper room are Christ's disciples, 120 of them. Suddenly, the first phenomena takes place. The first thing um, bursts forth in this text. And it is a wind. In fact, it's, it's actually a sound of a wind. Imagine you're in that upper room, you're one of the 120, and suddenly you hear all around you what sounds like a tornado. There's wind rushing past you, but, but, but you don't feel it. You hear it, but you don't see it or feel it. It's amazing. Again, it makes you ask, what does this mean? Now, wind is all throughout the Bible and has this rich meaning that can only be connected to the spirit of the living God. We know this because Ezekiel 37.9, what do we read in our Old Testament passage? That before Ezekiel, in this great vision, was a valley of dry bones. And God breathes upon these bones and, 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 and the winds collect them into a body. But it's not until the breath of life fills these Corpses that they come to life and stand as a great army before God. What does Ezekiel say? Come for winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now, who is it that breathes life into, into these corpses? The corpse of Israel, the corpse of God's people. 
It's the Spirit. You saw it all throughout Ezekiel 37, that it was the Spirit of the living God that comes and fills them and indwells them and gives them life and causes them to stand. Let's turn to a New Testament passage, actually, as well. John 3, 7 through 8. John 3, 7 through 8. And there we see a very famous passage as Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. And what does he say? He says this. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind, the breath, the life-giving power from on high. It is nothing less than a person. Not an it, but a he, the Holy Spirit. God himself, the third person of the Trinity, come to give life to dead people. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we see this name given to the Holy Spirit, Ruach. And that very name means life, breath, wind, spirit. So the Holy Spirit, God himself, come to give life to his people. That is what is is being announced as that sound of rushing wind, that tornado sound is all around the people in the upper room. It's, it's, It's like saying this, the Spirit is here to move. God is here to act. God is here to give life. What do we hear in Ezekiel chapter 37? God wasn't just giving life to dead people. God was giving life so that he would restore a broken people. Israel that was scattered. Israel that was broken between north and south. Israel that was divided. What's he doing? God is moving to restore his kingdom. And once again, here on the great day of Pentecost, the first fruits, the harvest, God is moving to do what? To bring the lost tribes of Israel back from the ashes, to breathe life into his people, to restore the kingdom, to build his church. So that's the first thing that that we see. And and, and before I move on, we need to understand that there is already here reason for us to join in praise, for us to say, thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Why? Because apart from the life-giving work of God's Spirit, there is nothing but death and decay. Isn't that true? That we owe our very spiritual life. I mean, let's start with our our very existence, our, our very physical life. We owe that life to the Holy Spirit. But we especially owe our spiritual life to the Spirit of God. For it is not unless he would breathe life in us that we would call out to him and praise God. Without the Holy Spirit, we are dead in our sins. We are corpses. But we can praise Jesus Christ for the work of his spirit who gave us breath and life and spiritual insight to praise our God. So we should say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your your power from on high. But then we have to see that after wind comes fire. First, there's this wind, the sound like a tornado. But then the disciples also see something. And it's something that comes down from above them and starts to rest above their head. It's, it's this fire. And it's described as tongues of fire. Now, again, what does this mean? The Old Testament helps us. For fire is throughout the scriptures. 
In fact, we heard about we hear about fire in Exodus chapter three. Famous passage. What happens in Exodus chapter three? The burning bush in which God's fiery presence is all around the bush, but it doesn't consume it. As this, as this perfect picture that God dwells with his people, but he doesn't depend on them. And by his grace, he does not consume them in judgment. That's the beautiful picture of the burning bush. This, this picture that God is the, the, um, the self-sustaining flame who flickers in the midst of a people of his own possession. And now we see that burning bush go from, from this little isolated experience where, we're in, where just Moses sees it to where that burning bush becomes a flame, a pillar of fire that, that abides with Israel in the wilderness. Do you remember that at the end of the book of Exodus and then throughout Numbers and Deuteronomy um, and Leviticus? Here is the burning bush that becomes this flame that abides with his people. And, and it's God himself, his fiery presence, God the all-consuming fire, resting above his temple in the midst of his people. What does the fire tell us? The fire is pointing throughout the Old Testament, throughout God's scripture to this, that God dwells as this all-consuming but, but perfect and holy God in the midst of his people. But now on the day of Pentecost, something different happens with God's fiery presence, doesn't it? What happens? The pillar of fire descends, but not just in this, this, this single pillar above God's people. It starts to divide and rest above individual believers. As tongues of fire, as it were. Individual pieces of fire that come out from that pillar and rest above each individual believer. This is amazing. What is it, what is it saying? What does it mean? It's saying this, that God's personal presence dwells in each of us, in each believer. This is a really exciting thing that's happening as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We are seeing that on the day of Pentecost, something is happening, and it's simply this. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would indwell people for, for, at a particular time for a particular task. And usually it was the leaders of Israel. Or God's fiery presence would dwell over the whole community. But now, in the New Testament, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with each believer and empower them perpetually, forever. That's good news. The personal presence of the living God dwelling in each of us so that we each become a temple, as it were, of God's presence. And together, we have that same flame as a, as, as a temple together. The church is a temple of God and dwelt with his fiery presence. It's a personal presence, but the fire also points to a purifying presence, right? Because what does fire do? Burns things. Burns away what is dead. Removes it. That's what the spirit of the living God does in you. Yes, he's with you. 
so that you know God's presence with you, but he's also there for a purpose. One of those purposes is this, that he cleanses you from your sin. That when God's fiery presence comes to rest upon you and indwell you, what is he, what is he desiring to do? What is he doing? He's changing you, cleansing you, refining you through the trials of your life so that they do not destroy you, but they start to remove sin from your life and you start to walk as a person cleansed by the fiery presence of God. So again, you should say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for dwelling in me. Thank you for doing what I cannot do for myself, removing my sin from me, changing me, using my trials as purifying trials. The wind, the flames, and some strange speech. Speaking in tongues is how it's described here. Imagine that you are with the 120 Galileans. That's where they were mostly from, Galilee up north. Followers of Jesus that are sitting in that upper room. Now, one thing you've got to know about Galileans as you imagine this is they were not known for having clear speech. Galileans were known for being country bumpkins that would speak in kind of weird ways. They couldn't pronounce gutturals. They, they, they had, they, there were certain, there, certain features of speech that most Israel, Israelites uh, could, could easily pronounce that Galileans, because of their unique accent, just couldn't really, it, it wasn't easy for them to, to pronounce. So other Israelites looked on the Galileans and they saw them as, as country bumpkins that didn't really know how to speak right. And then all of a sudden, these Galileans are praising God And they're doing it with clear speech in other languages. And we know this isn't just some random angelic language. No, this is a human language that is spoken. That's very important here. All of a sudden, these Galileans are speaking crystal clear Arabian. Perfect Latin the Phrygian dialect. And here are people who are gathered in Jerusalem um, who are Jews from, from the four corners of the world and they come together because they're hearing this sound, this wind, and then they're hearing people taking to the streets, praising God in these languages. And they're seeing them. They're saying, aren't these Galileans? Then how come I can hear them like I can understand people that speak in my native language of, of Latin, my native language of Arabian? Of Arabic. You see, what we have here, friends, is the opposite of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. What happened at the Tower of Babel? Well, God's people decided to not be God's people and to build a tower of pride to reach to the heavens. And it's when they started to do that and become unified that God divided their speech so that in this act of great pride, in this act of trying to build themselves into the heaven, they were confused and couldn't understand one another's languages. Well, here, the Spirit of God descends from heaven, and what happens? Suddenly, everyone who speaks these different languages can understand one another. Unity. 
and unity in understanding the gospel, the mighty works of God. This is the Tower of Babel in reverse. And, and it's, it's doing this. It is overcoming obstacles so the gospel can go out in all directions to all kinds of humans, speaking all kinds of languages. And to fulfill this command of Jesus, you will be my witnesses. Acts 1, verse 8. You'll notice that Luke goes out of his way to talk about all the different kinds of people that are gathered there, all the kinds of different Jews and the languages that they're speaking. Why does he do that? Because he's giving us this sense that right here and right now, we have this little taste that Jesus is already accomplishing exactly what he'd said he'd do in Acts 1.8. The gospel is going out to all the nations. And guess what? This is, it's very much like, we, like the situation we're in right now. You don't have to go overseas. <laughs> they didn't have to go overseas to start to be witnesses to Jesus. The nations had come to them. And so they start right there. And then they go out. All of this is showing us this. The, 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 tongues of, um, the strange tongues are showing us this. That Pentecost is a missionary event that these special effects that are happening are not just for show. They're here to advance the gospel and accomplish God's mission. I think that's something that often gets forgotten when we talk about Pentecost. It's kind of like, okay, a bunch of cool stuff is happening here. Why is it happening? It's happening to advance the gospel. It's happening for a reason. And so I think we can, we can gather, we can pull this together now. What does Pentecost mean? Pentecost means this. At least this, that God himself is with you to empower you for missions. God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, is with you, is with his people to empower them for missions. What does Pentecost mean for us? We've started to get at that already, but I want to just spend the end of this sermon leaning into that. First, I just want to ask, can Pentecost mean something for us? Because there are things happening in this passage that just don't happen today, at least not as I've normally experienced it. There are sounds and sights and speech in this text that, that are not common amongst the people of God. We don't normally hear rushing wind. When the spirit is on the move, we don't normally see tongues of fire descending over us. And I've never once heard someone start speaking a language that they don't know. And it's another human language and everyone can just understand that. So so should we become discouraged and say, well, I guess the spirit isn't moving if these things aren't happening? No. Should we set this up and say, well, this is the only way the spirit works. And this has to be how we conform to it today? No. Here's why. Because Pentecost fulfills this very special place in God's plan. Pentecost is Pentecost with a capital P. Why? Because it's like an opening ceremony for this new work that Christ is doing through his spirit. And it can't be repeated. You can't repeat the incarnation of Jesus, can you? The incarnation of the Son of God. No. You can't repeat the cross, can you? No. You can't repeat Christ's resurrection, no. 
In the same way, you can't repeat Pentecost because it's like this great opening ceremony that kicks off this new work, this new expansive work that Christ is doing through his spirit. New stage in God's saving work. But you can't become part of God's work without participating in what Pentecost started. Here's a picture of of how I want you to see this. Imagine that Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is like this opening ceremony for a great parade. And there are fireworks and there are, there's a band playing and there's, there's excitement and all of that is going on. And then the people of God, people of this parade, start marching. And they start marching and they keep marching and they're going down the street. And, and at some point, you can't see the fireworks and you can't hear the band any longer, but the marching is still happening and the people are still excited and they're still moving exactly to where the, the parade is going to its great conclusion, where there will be the fireworks again and there will be the band again. And along the way, as the parade moves through town, guess what? People start seeing it and coming out of their homes and jumping in. Pentecost is like that beginning to the parade. And we're like those that are jumping in as the parade's making its way through town. We don't see the, we don't see the fireworks We don't hear the music in the same way that the people who who started off did. But we're a part of that grand parade. So that Paul can say in 1 Corinthians, you have been baptized into one spirit. He says this, you have all been baptized into one spirit. That's true of you and I as well. We are baptized into the spirit of God. The spirit of Pentecost has filled our hearts and is even now filling it even more to conform us to the image of Jesus. We are part of that salvation parade. And what a difference that makes. So often we live as if Pentecost never happened. I think that's, that's something we can all do. We live as if we're not a part of that grand parade that is going somewhere. We live as if we are still dead in our sins. So, you know, I guess I'm just going to keep doing this thing. I guess I'm just going to keep wallowing in guilt and sin because that's all there is. We live as if we're orphans to the world, as if God doesn't hear our prayers. We live as if we're powerless in the face of unbelief. We live as if uh, the victory or defeat of our favorite football team is make or break for our lives. No. Come on. The Spirit of God, the very Spirit of Pentecost, indwells us the moment that we lay a hold of Christ by faith. In fact, the very Spirit who indwells us is the one who causes us to believe. So what does that mean? It means there is new life in us. It means that we have the purifying presence of God in us, that we have power over sin, that we have hope in the face of death, that the struggles of our lives, the struggles of our marriages are not hopeless, but the Spirit of God is acting in us to give us victory even over the greatest obstacles. And friends, that that pertains also to our mission. We've experienced difficulties, right, obstacles, 
in speech as we've tried to proclaim the gospel. That can be the difficulty of overcoming learning, learning and, and proclaiming the gospel in a foreign language like Spanish or, or, or Turkish. But it can also be this. It can also be the difficulty of us to, to find the words to speak when we don't know what to, how to best bear witness to Christ. But friends, you have the spirit of Pentecost living in your hearts. And this means that you have the personal presence of God to empower you to say exactly what he desires you to say. You don't have to fear whether you have the exact words. You prepare, but you don't fear. What a difference Pentecost makes. And so we can say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for Pentecost. Thank you for what you taught us here in this grand opening ceremony of your work but also thank you for what you are doing even now in me. Friends, I hope we'll see as we continue to hear about these great acts um, of the apostles that the special effects are exciting. The special effects are cool and they're there for a reason. They're there to glorify God. But let's not denigrate what the Spirit is doing now. Let's not downplay what the Spirit is doing through us at this very moment at our place in the Grand Parade. Let's praise him all the more for it. Let's go to him in prayer. Holy Spirit, who indwells our hearts, Lord, we ask that you would do your work in us. Give us that power from on high to overcome our despair and our guilt and our powerlessness in the face of sin. Lord, There is so much we need your power for, so give it to us richly. And Lord, may we see in ever advancing steps that you are working through us, that you are preparing us for that day when the parade comes to its close and Jesus brings us home with all the fanfare that will bring. Take us there, Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name, amen.